G'day, g'day guys. Now before we dive into today's show, I want to let you know that some of you may be aware that over the past eight years, I have built a substantial multifamily real estate portfolio here in the US worth over half a billion dollars. And in that time, my passive investors have received fantastic double digit returns. And now you too can invest directly into my deals for as little as $50,000. So if you're an interested investor, head over to reedgoosens.com to find out more. That's reedgoosens.com. Now back into the show. There's so much crossover between real estate. So I'm, I'm a big real estate guy as well. Like I love uh, renovations and, you know, that's part of the reason that like why I was drawn to uh, flipping websites. It's the same thing. You renovate a website, you, you take out what's not working, you put in new systems and, um, uh, you know, uh, monetization methods you know, the, what's the equivalent of redoing a bathroom or adding another bedroom? It's basically like spinning up like a new monetization scheme on the, on the site, right? There's a lot of design work that can be done to make the site look better, function better, just like you can with a house. There's a ton of parallels. And in fact, there's a lot of people that come from real estate and get into website flipping and, and vice versa, I think too. The, the parallels are, it's basically a digital real estate is what we used to call it. Now that term's kind of taken on a new meaning with the metaverse now. So we kind of backed away from that a little bit, but um, yeah, it's, it's still, I, I like to think of uh, website flipping as like digital real estate flipping. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reid Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom massive amounts of cash flow, and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug with the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show.
Today on the show, I have the pleasure of chatting with Stefan von Imhoff. Now, Stefan is the co-founder and CEO of Alts.co, and he's a huge fan of alternative investing and has a strong background in alternative asset analysis and valuations. Now, prior to starting Alts.co, Stefan was the head of product at Flipper, where he created Flipper's due diligence program. He's also spent time at Citrix.com and Linden.com, which was bought by LinkedIn, and he was the first product manager at HG Insights, a market intelligence company that's sold to Riverwood Capital back in 2020. He's originally from Boston. He spent some time in Santa Barbara, California, and now he lives in my home country of Australia with his incredible wife. But I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show today to share his incredible insights with me, but enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Stefan. Welcome to the show. G'day. Great to be here, Reed. Thank you so much for having me. Mate, my pleasure. Uh, before we get into the the background, but you live in Australia. You're coming to us from France. That's and correct. you're originally from Boston. That's global it. global citizen. That's it, all over the place. And uh, yeah, it's been 15 years before Australia and Santa Barbara, California. So yeah, just all over the place, man. And where do you live in Aussie right now? Uh, we actually split our time between Melbourne and Adelaide, where my wife is oh. from. So um, yeah, love both cities very much. I haven't. I actually. I've never been to Adelaide, and I've only spent like one time or one day in Melbourne. So it's funny how even as an Aussie, <laughs> I don't get. Uh, I don't get up there. But Adelaide's I was just underrated, in- man. Adelaide's underrated. Everyone always looks past it. I'm telling you, it's a great city. Truly a great city. They call it. I, I always used to call it Radelaide. And yes. uh, <laughs> the city of churches. Um, right. But I was, we're just talking offline. I just got back from a, or two weeks in Australia for my sister's wedding. Uh, you're obviously in France and about to head back to Australia, but we haven't got you on here to talk about where you're from. We've got you on here to talk about your background and what you've developed. So with that being said, I like to ask and start the show with all my guests to rewind the clock and tell us how you made your first ever dollar as a kid. I was a paper boy, man. That was it. That was the way. So, you know, it's funny because like you, you, you talk to a lot of um, executives and CEOs and founders, especially, and they all have one thing in common. Disproportionate of, of them were paper boys as a child. And uh, I was no different. So uh, being a paper boy in Boston, where I grew up, is, was especially difficult, right? Like, you know, you got to wake up, you know, well before the sun comes up. It is very cold for much of the year. Um, but you learn, you know, you get a great work ethic. You learn uh, how to take care of customers. I mean, it's really your, your business in a way, right? So, you know, I had that at a really young age. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that taught me a lot of lessons that I, um, you know, carry through today. That's awesome. And, and talk us about that growing up and the, 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 the intrigue of, you know, wanting to start your own business. Obviously, you're a very well-traveled guy. But do you, were you always wanting to go into becoming your own entrepreneur and becoming your own, the, the founder of, of a company that you run today? I think it's just natural. I mean, like either you have it or you don't. Some people don't. Some people do. I've gone back and forth between working for myself and working for, you know, corporate um, culture. And um, I just keep coming back to entrepreneurship. It's just, for me, it's just, I'd rather just be in control. You know, I really like, I just hate reporting to other people. (laughs) I just like to work for myself. And, um, you know, it's funny now because we're a venture back company. So it's like, I kind of have a whole new set of bosses, right? With our uh, investors. So you know, you always serve someone, as, as Bob Dylan once said, but, um, you know, still, pros outweigh the cons. And, uh, yeah, I, I very much uh, like uh, doing what I do. And, and walk us through your background. You went to university in, in, in was it in, in Santa Barbara? Actually, no. So I went to uh, University of Massachusetts in uh, Amherst and uh, moved out to Santa Barbara after that. So my wife and I, who I'd met, um, we lived in Santa Barbara 15 years. And at the time, Santa Barbara didn't really have a whole lot of a big tech scene. So we actually started a uh, business. We started an uh, e-commerce business. We were an online retailer of uh, video games and hard to find accessories and repair parts. And 
really kind of like um, had, had some great years, rode the wave of like um, as Amazon was coming up and eBay was still strong and, you know, had some, had some great years. Uh, what happened to us was in that business was 2008, the, the crash hit us pretty hard and we were pretty over leveraged too as well. So learned some lessons there. Um, we were able to recover. And uh, actually, I ended up selling that business on Flippa.com, right? And that was interesting because years later, I would actually become the head of product at Flippa. In fact, that's what I was doing before I started alts.co. So it's kind of interesting how, you know, we've kind of come full circle. And Flippa, for those people who don't know what that is, uh, obviously, as an Australian, it sounds, I think I know what it stands for. It's a good bowling technique that Shane Warne used to use. <laughs> but, uh, and that's an inside joke for anyone who doesn't know who Shane Warne is. Go Google it. But for you, what, what is Flippa? Flippa is a marketplace, actually the world's largest marketplace for buying and selling online businesses, selling e-commerce mm. businesses, selling micro SaaS companies and products um, and content websites. Yeah, it's a, it's a you know, Flippa was actually started back in 2010, but, you know, it's way ahead of its time. And it's only like since COVID, it's really started to hit its stride. So I was there during COVID and I was also there during Melbourne's big lockdown. And so I had nothing better to do on the weekends for, you know, three or four straight months. And that's when I started Alts.co. But um, yeah, Flippo was really, you know, a big part of, um, you know, kind of helping me think through Alts.co and kind of, you know, help me actually get started with it as well. So, so talk us about the, the educate us on the landscape of online businesses and flipping them and buying them and selling them and ultimately how you came to Alts.co as, as really an investment platform for alternative investments. Yeah. So, you know, like Flippa is, uh, like I said, it's, it's a marketplace for buying and selling online businesses. But online businesses themselves are, you know, e-commerce sites or micro SaaS companies or content websites, basically websites that make money from ads or affiliate marketing. That's actually a fan. It's a fantastic alternative investment. And that's actually how Alts.co got started is, you know, on the weekends, like I mentioned, I was doing a lot of writing and I started a newsletter called the Alternative Assets Newsletter. And it was primarily focused at the time on, you know, cash flowing websites and flipping websites for profit. And um, I still, to this day, think that websites, you know, are one of the best alternative investments you can, you can have, but they're not a passive one, right? They're very active. It takes a lot of work and a lot of effort. And so what's interesting is like, I started talking about alternative investments through the lens of flipping websites and, and, um, in that area. And there was another gentleman, uh, a guy named Wyatt, who um, had his own alternative investing newsletter around the same time, except he was coming at it from a different angle. He was coming at it from the world of collectibles and like fractionalization and what was happening with a lot of cultural assets. And so we kind of had these like similar newsletters that were talking about the growing world of alternatives, but we had, you know, separate like niches that we were focused on. And we were fans of each other's newsletters and we kind of started talking on Twitter and stuff. And like one day I just kind of called him up and I'm like, Hey man, like, you know, I don't really want to compete with you. you know? <laughs> like, why don't we just like join forces and build something together? And, uh, we never met in person. And in fact, uh, uh, we, we still, uh, we only met in person for the first time last month and that was a year and a half ago. So it was early January, 2021. We started working together. We started alts.co officially and uh, we raised money together and, um, we started the alts one fund together. And up until last month, I couldn't tell you how, how tall he was. <laughs> so it's a pretty crazy world we live in these days, but, um, yeah, happy to say we finally met in person and, uh, we get along great and, uh, yeah, pretty cool. What's the, how do you flip a website? 
Like we talk about flipping real estate on here. We talk I, you know, yeah. in big flips for my multifamily projects. I come in, I renovate, I put in better tenants. Yep. I increase the net operating income, increase the revenue, yep. and I flip it to someone who wants to buy another asset. You know, in same five idea. Or six years date. Yeah, okay. That's it. It's the same idea. In fact, there's so much crossover between real estate. So I'm, I'm a big real estate guy as well. Like I love uh, renovations, and you know that's part of the reason that like why I was drawn to uh, flipping websites. It's the same thing. You renovate a website. You, you take out what's not working. You put in new systems and um, uh, you know uh, monetization methods. You know the, what's the equivalent of redoing a bathroom or adding another bedroom? It's basically like spinning up like a new monetization scheme on the on the site, right? There's a lot of design work that can be done to make the site look better, function better, just like you can with a house. There's a ton of parallels, and in fact, there's a lot of people that come from real estate and get into website flipping, and and vice versa. I think too, the, the parallels are it's basically a digital real estate is what we used to call it. Now that term's kind of taken on a new meaning with the metaverse now. So we've kind of backed away from that a little bit, but um, yeah, it's, it's still, I, I like to think of uh, website flipping as like digital real estate flipping. Yeah. And, and when you talk about other monetary or revenue generating you know, ventures on a website, what do you mean by that to the layman? You know, I, I, I obviously, I yeah. know that I, when, when I buy a multifamily property, I can charge for parking. I can increase the rent of the prop of the actual units. I can charge for cable contracts. I can do, you know, all different things to, to, to increase revenue. What are you doing on a website? It's a couple of different ways to make money from a website. The most easiest way that, that people often do is just they, they put ads on the website. That's kind of like version one though, right? Like it's kind of like having like a, you know, a, uh, I don't know, maybe like not the best tenant in or something like you get paid, but it's kind of a pain. It slows your site down. Right. So there's better ways of monetizing. Like one of them is to become uh, spin up like um, your affiliate program. So now you're basically putting affiliate links throughout your site and within your content. So that anytime someone clicks on that link and goes to say Amazon and buy something, you get a cut. Right. Yep. And it's not just Amazon. There are hundreds of thousands of companies that have their own affiliate programs and you can get a cut of, you know, any one of those companies if they, um, you know, if you get a sale from them. So um, that's a big way. I, but the biggest way, the, the thing that I love doing the most is, is what no one does. It's <laughs> just add a newsletter to your site, right? So add a newsletter sign up form, right? Um, so everyone who comes to your site, make sure that they sign up for your newsletter so you don't lose them forever. Now, once you have their email address, Oh, then you can email them. Then you can sell sponsorships in your email newsletters, right? Like, I mean, we still sell sponsorships today at, at alts.co. So, I mean, that that's one of the biggest tricks you can do for sure. That's what I love doing the most. And it's so easy. And when you're looking at, you know, I, I always think about you know, traffic, right, to a website, right? How do you increase that traffic? And, and are you looking for... In you know the website equivalent of like, well, this is a, a diamond in the rough, and I can increase the traffic. Is is that part of the metrics that you look at when you're assessing whether uh, it's it's viable to flip the website or not? Definitely. So traffic is everything to a, a website, um, really, truly everything. And there's basically three ways to get traffic. You can pay for it, which you don't really want to do unless you're an e-commerce site, and even then, it's very expensive. You can uh, get uh, you improve your SEO so you show up better in Google rankings, and that's all free. That's the best. I mean, that's what everyone wants to do, right? And that's a big part of this industry. A big part of um, website flipping is learning search engine optimization and learning SEO and learning how content works, and uh, that's a huge part of it. The payoff is tremendous. I mean, you get thousands and thousands and thousands of free views each month. It takes a lot of work to get there. It takes a lot of work to maintain, and Google's always changing <laughs> how the algorithm works. So you know, it gets tricky. Um, and then the third way is 
you know, kind of like partnerships, basically referral inbound links. So, you know, um, partnering with other companies to link to you, um, that actually helps SEO as well. But uh, bottom line, if you have a, a great source of traffic, right, there's a high traffic site and that's just spinning, you know, spitting traffic your way, you know, that's obviously free, great free traffic as well. So those are the three main ways. Right. And you're, you're focused on trying to make sure that all three of them are maximizing to 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 produce more revenue for the website, correct? Yeah, it's an optimization game for sure. You know, it's um, it's definitely optimization is a big part of it. Like, especially once you're, you're you know, every 5% or 10% increase in your numbers can mean, you know, 5%, 10% increase in revenue. That doesn't matter when you're starting out, but when you start to get big numbers, oh, that can be a, you know, it's a big lever to pull. So, that's what makes it so much fun, you know, and this is another reason not to work for someone else. You know, it's like, how are you going to give yourself a 10% raise overnight working for someone else versus like, you can give yourself a 10%, you know, raise in earnings by pulling the right levers. So, you know, there it is. So, so how are you valuing these, these companies, you know, like online, because it's not a physical asset. Like I'm in, I own a physical piece of dirt, right. Or you might own a trucking company that owns, you know, trucks, uh, what or is it the IP that's the value here in in the in the website? Typically, not. It, it can be um, for high end sites. There can be some IP, especially for like micro SaaS businesses. And this is what a lot of the sites you see on a company called microacquire.com, right? That they're making a lot of noise in the space. They focus more on like um, companies and that have like uh, SaaS components to them, recurring revenue, mm-hmm. and some IP behind them. So it runs the gamut. Typically, you know. It, the IP isn't a big part of it. It's basically just how much revenue you're pulling. In. That's basically what it comes down to. But what's fascinating about that is you can buy cash flowing websites. I mean, people don't realize how cheap they are. You can buy cash flowing websites for three to four X annual net profit. That's nothing. That's crazy low. I mean, that's, you know, I've done some pretty good real estate deals in my life and the best ones are like four, you know, have a four year payback period. But that's the best one. The standard with website flipping is three to four X. So, I mean, you, on average, that's, you can buy, you know, if a site's making $25,000 a year net profit, you can buy that site for between seventy-five dollars and $100,000 a year. The, now, you might think, okay, what's the catch, right? That's almost too good to be true. Well, the catch is it's not passive, right, at mm. all. Like, you've got to maintain. It takes work. It takes effort. And uh, you've got to be careful also when you buy because a good site will definitely, you know, be priced that, you know, priced well and you, uh, you know, you'll, you'll make the money back in three, four years uh, or sooner if you're really good at what you do. The problem is the due diligence. Like you have got to do your due diligence and stuff. There's no regulation around this stuff. There's no lemon law. This is like buying a car, buying a house for that matter. There's no insurance. I mean, you got to just do your homework, do your due diligence. So actually at Flippa, I started the due diligence program um, to help buyers. Uh, we would basically you know, do that due diligence for them. Even then, it's not guaranteed, but it goes a long way because you know what to look for after years and years of doing it. Um, you know, but it takes some work. It takes some homework, but, um, you know, you, not, most sites are good. Most people are good. There's not mm-hmm. that much fraud out there, but let's not kid ourselves. It does exist. So there, there is an inherent built-in risk to the whole, the whole game. Flipping now to Alts.co, give us an idea of, you, you talk about alternative investing. So when I, say, when I hear alternative investing, it's, I, I think real estate, right? Because the traditional stocks and bonds and mutual funds is what, you know, all the, all the you know, financial advisors love to push. 
but you're right. you're even alternative of real estate. What what, what are you selling on on, and what are you raising money for today uh, for your investors? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, when we first started Alts.co, it's like, do we want to go tall or do we want to go wide? Right? Meaning, like, do we want to focus on just like one or two like verticals or niches, or do we want to be broad? And right away, like. Wyatt and I were like, no, let's, there is so much happening out there. So many new investable asset classes. Let's go as broad as possible. And so what's happened is fascinating right now because like there's, you know, confluence of trends happening, right? So there's um, new technology coming online. There's new regulation, right? Especially what's known as Reg A in the US, which basically makes it extremely much easier for companies to securitize assets. Uh, This is a brand new legislation. It's less than a decade old now, right? So um, that's kind of given to the rise of a lot of new alternatives. That's what gave to the rise of a lot of fractional real estate, for example. But then now that's been expanded to fractional collectibles and um, all sorts of stuff. I mean, all sorts of you know new asset classes. I think the big, the third big trend is like just the rise of the retail investor, right? Like people taking, you know, they're investing into their own hands as opposed to trusting a you know financial advisor with their money. They're like, no, I can do this. I can do my own research online and what have you. So all of these three trends are kind of combined into one. And so to answer your question, I mean, we, we cover everything from books to comics to video games, um, vinyl. That is one of our favorite alternative asset classes right now. We do music rights is a fantastic one. Litigation finance. We cover peer-to-peer lending. We cover, um, I mean, if it's not a stock or a bond, we cover it. Art, mm-hmm. wine are huge. Real estate's interesting because to your point, real estate's like the original kind of like OG, like alternative investment, but there's so much happening even within real estate that we consider alternative. And so that's what we try to focus on. So we love like vacation rentals. I've, uh, I managed two vacation rentals. Uh, I love ADUs, accessory mm-hmm. dwelling units. Like I've built an ADU in our place in Santa Barbara. I love retirement communities. I love uh, storage is great, you know, especially like cold storage is really interesting. Data centers are really interesting. So like even within real estate, there's all these alternative real estate that's really interesting to us. Um, That's kind of what we try to focus on most as opposed to just, you know, residential. So yeah, it just runs the gamut. I mean, we're really all over the place. If you have a look at the site, you'll see what I mean. We, we We cover everything. For those of you who are interested in staying up to date with all the latest happenings in my business, or to learn more about passively investing directly into my multifamily value-add deals, then head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter. By signing up, you'll automatically be notified about my new up-and-coming investment opportunities. You'll be able to stay up to date with all the latest real estate news here in the United States and much, much more. So head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up today. Now, back into the show. How do you, you mentioned comic books and vinyls. How, how do you value that? And, and it's, is it very similar to like wine and art is all in the, the eye of the beholder? So art and art, okay, so each, each market is very different. This is what I love about what we do is like you get to learn the intricacies of each market. So art is valued uh, less on the eye of the beholder than you think. Art's <laughs> mostly, fine art's mostly valued on provenance, right? So who owned it before? Right. And of course, like who the artist is and all that. But wine is interesting. Wine is just a nice steady up and to the right, like consistently over the years. It's like just completely not correlated to anything else. Um, It has its moments where it goes down for sure. But 
the wine market's fascinating because like the Chinese are starting to develop a big taste for wine. You know, a lot of like Australia, for example, they're just exporting a lot of wine to, to Asia now. Um, here in France, you know, we, uh, it certainly hasn't slowed down at all. I think France is the second biggest producer in the world behind Italy. Um, wine is just its own its own beast. To answer your question, like, you know, vinyl, for example, and like comic books and stuff. Okay, so it all comes down to like grading. So like, um, you know, comic books, video games, action figures, they all, everything has to be graded, right? So there's a couple of different authorities well-known authorities that are that are grading these um, these assets now. And so they grade them on a scale. Like you've probably heard of some of these companies like CGC and like, so they basically like they grade like sports cards, memorabilia. There's all sorts of like intricacies. I might, you know, I don't want to waste too much time getting into when it comes to memorabilia and stuff like that. Um, but this basically, it has to be authenticated. It has to be graded. Once it's graded, then it just becomes a mathematical equation as far as what it's worth. Because like, let's say you have like a LeBron James rookie card and, you know, it's like graded, uh, you know, it's like a 9.8, right? Okay, so you, have, you look at the grade and you look at the population. Like how many other cards are out there that we know um, with that same grade, right? And so, you know, the, the more information you have, the better. Um, so you can basically look at like, okay, what do other LeBron James 9.8 rookie cards sell at, you know, what have they sold at? How is that increasing? What about all LeBron James cards, period? What about all NBA cards, period? What about, and on and on you go. And you basically just put that all into a giant database and you're able to see what the market looks like, what the player looks like, what the population looks like, and what ultimately what the value should be. And that's how you know if you're getting a good deal or not. Now, all of that is to say is that these markets are changing rapidly because more and more people are getting into the hobby. You know, so it's, it's driving up a lot of the price. Um, so it's, it's, it's tricky. It's constantly like, you know, you got to be careful of overpaying the sports cards market's actually down right now. So, you know, you got to be, you know, on one hand it's bad. On the other hand, it presents some good buying opportunities. All of these markets are very different to answer your question. I mean, but it all comes down to what is the grade? What is the, um, the condition that that's, that basically is everything, at least with physical collectibles. And are you, the storage or the housing facility of that data to present to investors or are you going out to other industry standard, you know, like uh, some of these grading assets or grading companies to get that data on a specific niche within within a specific alternative asset? It's funny because like the data is, is thick in some markets and it's thin in others. Um, so we, like in some areas, it's, there's a lot of data, right? Um, so like the sports cards, there's, there's quite a lot of data out there, for example. But with like vinyl, for example, like that data did not exist. So we actually created the world's first vinyl index. So now we understand what makes a good buy when it comes to vinyl and we understand comps, right? That's the other thing I didn't mention before is it, it all, everything comes down to comps. It's actually similar to real estate, right? So when you're selling a house, like, okay, what are the similar square footage in this area, in this neighborhood? What did that sell for? And then you put it into a machine and you come out with a number. It's very similar in, in collectibles, right? So, I mean, yeah, comps is a huge part of it. A lot of the data is out there. Like with real estate, for example, it's already out there. But again, with vinyl and, and, and some of this, these other markets, we're actually the ones creating it. Um, mm. So with wine, we just borrow the data. It's, we, we just buy the data, basically. It's, it, uh, LiveX is the biggest um, wine tracker in the world, wine price tracker in the world, um, liv-ex.com. Uh, there's no sense in re recreating the wheel. What's interesting about LiveX, though, is they don't cover tequila. And so we're creating the world's first tequila index, right? So when I say like we're alternative, like we're, we like to think of ourselves as like alt alts, right? Like we take alternative to like a whole nother level. 
And that's the, those are the realms we like playing in. And and so with all the the valuations going on, you're really just looking for the, the the asset to appreciate in value over time, right? You obviously can't enjoy the yeah. wine, you can't enjoy the tequila, yeah. <laughs> and and so your what is a, a typical investment look like when you're raising your fund? Is it a a three to five year hold? Is it a ten year hold? Like what do you, what's the sort of time horizon there? So we so the Alts One fund that we've raised that's a ten year fund, and that's what it has to be because. You know, I mean, there are other alternative investment funds out there. Some of them are three-year funds. Yeah, fine. If you want to drive, go for that. Like, go for it. I mean, we're not, we're, we're, we're buying for the long haul, right? Like, we're saying that the Beatles record that we just bought, uh, by the way, we just picked up a copy of the White Album, uh, second pressing, number two ever pressed in the world. We think it was owned by John Lennon. Uh, we're saying that that, I don't know what it's going to do in one year or two years. I'm saying in 10 years, that's going to be a lot more than we paid for it. Right. So right. we're buying for the long haul. Absolutely. Yeah. And are you stored? Where's all this memorabilia being stored and, and, and all that sort of stuff? So to, obviously you have to take a lot of good care of these pieces of, oh, yeah. of, of artifacts nearly like to, to make sure that they hold their value over a period of time. Luckily there's a whole sub economy that's sprouted up around um, what we call vaulting. So that's, that handles the storage, the logistics, the shipping, and the insurance um, on these assets. So, I, it, you know, as sad as it is, I've actually never – we just won this Beatles uh, vinyl album at auction. I haven't seen it yet. I'm probably not going to see it for a good year. Uh, it's, it's being shipped to a secure facility. Um, yeah, so there's all sorts of, you know, there's a whole sub-economy that, that takes care of that now. Yeah. Got it, got it. And how much of – and I don't want to get into a taboo subject here, but is is it all around tax uh, tax benefits of investing in these assets because you know they're they're in travel, they're in transit, like like the or is it actually for the appreciation over the long term, or do you get both because you get the depreciation? Definitely don't do this for any tax purposes. I, <laughs> I I would I'd be the last person to advise on tax stuff. I mean that changes like per every jurisdiction is different. Like I don't even go there. It's all about the appreciation. For, for, now, th- those are some of the assets that we uh, buy. Like, so some of them have nothing to do with appreciation at all, right? So like uh, music rights, for example, is one that we're really excited about, right? Uh, music rights are fascinating. So there's nothing physical there. I mean, it's all digital, but it's not about appreciation. It's about cash flow. What's interesting mm-hmm. about music rights is that it's similar to websites in real estate for that matter and that it, it, it provides cash flow, right? So it spits out cash completely different value proposition than something like, you know, comic books or video games. Right. Um, so we haven't purchased any music rights for our fund yet. Uh, that is the one I'm most excited about actually, frankly, that, that is of all the alternative asset classes. I think that is the most underrated, uh, and nothing comes close. No, I know a couple of investors here in Los Angeles who are real estate investors, but they also are music right investors as well. And then obviously LA being, you know, the city of uh, Hollywood, it is uh, obviously full of those types of people. And you, you make some big money, right? I just did. Who, who sold their rights recently? Was it um, someone someone notable? So did. D- Dylan was the Dylan. big one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, so th- th- this is fascinating because like, there is a lot of music rights sales activity, but it's all happening on the high end, right? Mm. So it's like, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Bruce Springsteen sold his catalog. Yes, too. that's I forget right. the yep, yep. Uh, 300 million. I can't even remember. I mean, it's just bonkers, you know, um, but it's a great deal. I mean, it's a terrific deal. He is basically Bruce fast forwarding 
30, I mean, he probably, I think he got like 30 X for it. Right. You know, or maybe 35, 40 X. Right. So is he even going to be around in 30 years? Like, right. Who knows? Like, so it's a no brainer for him, but for a fund, they're making a bet on, you know, like that this will be valuable 30 years from now. Right. And um, the answer is, I think personally, yes, for someone like Dylan and Springsteen, but that's all happening at the high end. Right. So on the low end, no one's touching the low end. I mean, there's just very few sales under a million dollars. But it's to me, that's like such an opportunity because it's like, think about like if you're an artist and you're making, I don't know, $50,000 a year, let's say, right? So like pretty good money, but like also not great. Like not enough to like really, you know, you know build a life you want to live or, or like buy a house for your family or, you know. So if someone comes along and says like, look, you know, I'll pay you a quarter of a million dollars right now for everything that you've just, you've already written. Everything from here on out is yours. Everything from this day past is, is ours. Right. You know, who wouldn't that like, that would be so compelling to so many artists. They get to fast forward like five, six years of their life. You know, they're able to reinvest that in whatever they want to invest in. You know, they're able to, you know, start a family or do whatever they want to do. And this stuff is just not happening. Like, I, I mean, I'd love to talk to your friends, by the way, like, please introduce me if you can't ask sure. me call. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not kidding around. Like it, I, I love, I want to talk to anyone who's making moves in this, in this field. Uh, but my guess is that they would be doing it at above the million dollar range. And, you know, there's really nothing stopping anyone from doing it at any level, you know? So uh, it's really, it's a great market, really fascinating market. Where, where's alts.co going? Where, what's the big picture for this in the next five to 10 years? So we, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be building an alternative investment platform, right? So you kind of think about, about our evolution is we started as a newsletter and then moved that to like investing community. And that's where we're at today. We're an investing community with a fund, right? The Alts, the Alts One Fund. The next logical progression, and frankly, the last stop, I think, for us is to um, build a platform, right? So a, we would become a broker-dealer, and we would be able to transact uh, alternative uh, assets on the platform um, through us, right? Uh, there's a lot that goes into that, um, and we're actually, we're actually right smack in the middle of raising money for us, for the business right now. That just kicked off like two weeks ago. So <laughs> we're right smack in the middle right now. But um, yeah, that's that's what we're you know, that's what we're planning on, on doing. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, look, at the end of every show, we like to dive into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Let's do it. I got my final sip of wine here. Let's do it. That's awesome, mate. Look, uh, what is the daily habit that you practice to keep on track towards your goals? That's an easy one. I mean, so uh, my partner and I, why we have a daily stand-up. And uh, I mean, it's, it's a must because like we work remotely, right? So he lives in Spain. I usually live in Australia. And so, you know, we basically like communication is everything for us. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, it's an easy one. Just first thing in the morning for him, for me, it's the end of the day. Uh, but we, you know, just make sure we, we, we uh, all us being equal, we try to talk every single day. Um, so that's an easy one. Yep. Uh, question number two is who's been the most influential person in your career to date? What's interesting is for a long time, I would have said Steve Jobs. The interesting thing is about Steve Jobs, though, is that, well, let me take a step back. The reason I love Steve Jobs so much is because he was like, he had both the left brain and the right brain just firing, right? Like he was creative as hell, but he was also analytical and cutthroat and, you know, a little bit on the spectrum. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, that's, a, that's a rare combination, right? Um, I try to be balanced in everything I do. And I felt that Steve Jobs had, had fantastic balance. However, Steve Jobs had a very different, approach to management than I do. And I'm trying to grasp and wrestle with that fact. So Steve was like notorious asshole to work for. Right. Um, I try to win people over with kindness. And so, you know, we're very different on that, 
and, and that level. And so, you know, I, I think I, I, st- I still think he's just the, the one I admire the most and just in terms of what he's done, how he's done it. Um, uh, as different as we are, I think he's, yeah, he's who I'd have to go with. Awesome. I love it. Question number three is what's the most influential tool in your business? Now, when I say tool, it could be a physical tool like a, like a journal or your phone, or it could be a piece of software that you just can't run the business without. What is it? You know, what's funny is like we're getting so far away from just phone calls and I don't mm. know why. And, and like, you know, I'll be on Slack sometimes and I'll be like chatting with one of my you know, teammates about something. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, why does no one just pick up the phone anymore? And like call, you know, like it's just, right. I, I don't understand. Like it, it's such an easier way to just deal with things and like get things done. I, I happen to love phone calls. I mean, I know like you talk to like Gen Z and like, <laughs> they have like an aversion to the phone. They won't. I mean, the phone. Why are you calling me? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, that's fine. I guess it's a generational thing. To me, it's just, I don't know. I, I mean, even the thought of like doing a phone call over a Zoom meeting is like, please, like, you know, it's just so much easier sometimes. I hate having to turn on my camera half the time for Zoom meetings. I just, I, I just like calling people, you know? So, yeah, I mean, for me, it's like the phone, <laughs> the old school phone. Yeah, love it. Love it. Question number four is in what's in one sentence, what has been the most uh, or the biggest failure that you faced in your career? And what did you learn from that failure? Oh, over leverage in 2008. <laughs> I mean, so like I alluded to before, I mean, we were uh, my business, like we were super over leveraged. The other thing we were dealing in video games, which like aside from cars, nothing depreciates faster than video games in the world. Uh, I mean, within six months of a video game's release that they've lost 30, 40% of their value. And it just goes down from there. Uh, So yeah, we were, we were leveraged to the, to the, you know, to the uh, T with, uh, with video games and accessories and then 08 hit and we took a huge loss. And the thing is I was young and like, I was able to recover from it and we recovered really, really well, actually. Like I said, we didn't actually go out of business. Um, and we could have, we, we, re, we picked up the pieces and, and put them back together, which is really a great lesson as well. But, you know, it taught me a lot about, taught me a lot about leverage and, and, and just, um, you know, how to manage leverage. It's interesting because leverage, I think is fundamentally a very good thing. Um, but I think understanding the power of its bi-directionality is very important. And, yeah. you know, 2008 definitely taught me that. So I'll, I'll never forget that lesson. That's for sure. Awesome. Well, mate, last question is where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. Where do they go? It's easy, man. Just go to alts.co and, you know, check us out and see if you like what we're getting into and like the stuff we're talking about and writing about, and uh, you know, just sign up for our newsletter. Our newsletter is kind of where everything starts. Um, So just, you know, uh, go to the site, sign up for the newsletter and um, reach out anytime. I'd love to hear from you. It's um, uh, Stefan at alts.co. Awesome, man. Well, Stefan, I love talking to you today. It's very been you probably the the first episode I've ever spoken to with someone who's selling and buying, you know, playing cards or bottles of wine or you know in in, in that sort of different world that you know we all hear about. But I do love the vision of where you're going because like like the music rights, it's so niche. You really have to understand it. But when there's not a lot of competition in there, you can definitely pick up some really good buys. So creating a platform like what you're doing is freaking awesome. Uh, and I think it's got a big growth potential into the future as you keep to be, you know, providing that smorgasbord for your investors to come and transact on the, the alt, 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 you know, alternative uh, investing um, platform. So, so I, I, I wish you all the best. Um, man, thanks again for coming on this show and enjoy the rest of your week. Oh, thanks, Reed. Thank you very much.
Well, there you have another cracking episode jam pack with some incredible advice from Stefan. If you want to go and check him out, it's alts.co, so A-L-T-S.co. Definitely go check it out. It's a huge, going to be, I think, a really big success in terms of just cultivating all the different alternative investment opportunities that are out there that I didn't even know existed, right? And you can really invest in anything you want these days, and this is a platform that helps you go and do that. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give it a five-star review on iTunes. All the notes from today's show will be up on my website at reedgoosens.com. Dot com. And I want to thank you all again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ. And we're going to do this all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. Bye.